This is The Back Pass, a podcast for sports nerds by sports nerds. This week on The Back Pass, we continue our Explain series and dive into the vexing world of financial fair play. We'll take a look at history, the reasons for its introduction, common misconceptions, the math, and finally, the punishments dealt to those found in breach. Welcome to the Back Pass. This week, we've got Gupreet, Shivank, Ali, and myself. How are we doing, lads? In financial turmoil. <laughs> doing really well. I've actually created a special bingo card for today, um, especially when you're talking about financial fair play. You know, amortization's on there. So if you hear amortization, just, you know, take a shot or um, take a bite of something. And what what else are we going to have? We're going to have, what, liquidation, points deduction. Man City. Man City. <laughs> and Barcelona probably going to get a good mention too. Do you get triple the points for mentioning Man City? Uh, I, I think I think if you get uh, Man City in the first row, second row, and third row, so if in every part of the uh, pod, then you get like a special big prize. You win, you win triple bingo. <laughs> do, do your bingo? Is, is, are we going to play like a numeric thing as well? Because uh, I want one one five. Are we going for one hundred and five mentions on our bingo card? I, I I promise this is the last time I'm going to mention one one five. It's like that's just that's, that's almost as terrible as NFP regulations. Anyway, let's get on with it. Yeah, let's dive into it. So let's start with the history behind it. Ali, Leeds, talk to me. So Leeds, really early example of why FFP was kind of needed. Um, they were building something special. Uh, they got a big group of talented youngsters that they were breaking through the team and Leeds were suddenly getting better. Uh, they qualified for Champions League, had a great ride in the Champions League and then just went, you know what? We're going to take out a 60 million loan against the future gate receipts because we're going to be Champions League all the time, baby. We're top four now. And then they didn't make it. Uh, the additional interest payments burdened them. They had to sell off the assets. You know, obviously, uh, Harry Kiel, uh, Rio Ferdinand, Alan Smith, pretty much anyone who played in the Leeds shirt that was good at that time. Uh, Jonathan Woodgate, you know, there's lots lots more on there. Paul Robinson too. Uh, Biduka as well. So some... Ian Hart. Ian Hart as well. Yeah. So... Damn the Spring Rex memories. Mm, yeah. Mark Viduka. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, like all those all those names and all the other Premier League clubs benefited from, but it really destroyed Leeds, their brand, their fairy tale story that they went on, and everything, you know, that fan fan side of things. So that's kind of the, you know, the horror tale of don't be a Leeds. Hmm. So what you're saying is do not bet the present on the future because if the future crumbles, then your present's gone. 
bit Bingo sounds alert. like something. It <laughs> sounds like it sounds like a, something a club in Spain has recently done, which we covered last year at the show. Are you talking about the property market? <laughs> maybe, maybe. I'm talking about livers. Yes, of course. Yes, and Frankie. Frankie. Yes. We're trying very hard to not say that name. <laughs> so, so like, you know, for Leeds, the turmoil was such that even when they did get sent back to league, they finally did get relegated and they got went back to League One and they went a championship in League One and they had to really recover. It took them like over 10 years to get back and it took them Bielsa to get back, really, as well. <laughs> and then they have like a, this masterstroke of like, now we're a Premier League club. You know, this is going to be forever. Bielsa can go out the door. We don't need proper strategies. We'll just go buy, like, you know, whatever we want, however we want. We'll spend money wherever we want. And, yeah, and they're, and they're back to being relegated and not in the Premier League. I, I mean, I, I, love the, I love the fact that we've started the FFP episode by basically having a real go at Leeds. Because the, the, the transition from Bielsa... They're paying Big Sam half a million over four games to keep them up. And him rocking up in that press conference and saying, I'm better than Klopp and Pep and anyone else out there. And then losing all the games and getting them relegated. That is just, it It, it just sums up leads to a T. To be fair, and in <laughs> Sam Allardyce's defense, Pep and Klopp would not have kept leads up. Over those four games, they would not have had the impact to get keep the league, keep the club up. That's yeah, fair. That's fair. So technically, he's just as good, right? Like that's what he said. He's like, I may not be better, but I'm just as good. And so he is just yeah, as. Yeah, good. yeah, you're right. You're right. Same outcome. I think you've really, you've really, you've really read the fine print, Ali, because he said there's no one ahead yeah. of me, right? So yes. Right. Okay, that's probably enough of Leeds. Give me another story, Shivank. Talk to me about Valencia. Yeah, so this is the other story that kind of paints the picture of why something like FFP was needed. Um, if you go back 25 years from now, um, Valencia were on a bit of a roll. They won the 98-99 Copa del Rey, which is the Spanish FA Cup. They won the Spanish Super Cup in in the following season, which is like their community shield. In the 2000 season, they made it to the Champions League final, lost to Real Madrid 2001. Again, made it to the final, but lost to Bayern Munich on penalties. Subsequent season, they won La Liga. Then a blank, 2003-2004. They again win La Liga and did the European double by winning uh, the Europa League, uh, Europa League, or as, as it was called back then, the UEFA Cup, not the Champions League. So you can see the momentum that's been building with Valencia for however many years, you know. And then after winning the UEFA Cup, they win the Super Cup. Again, the thing just goes on. So now you've had about six, seven years of sustained success. The club's like, baby, let's aim for the moon. And then they commission a brand new stadium. And basically, they they decided to call the stadium the new Mestaya because the current one was called the Mestaya, very original. Um, And then they started doing the work, GFC happened, and then the banks are like, you know what, we're not lending you any money. And now you've got basically a club 
which has a lot of debt on it. Um, because of trying to build a new stadium, the bank has no longer approved the loan, yet you've already got all this work underway. And so what did the club do? Kind of like Leeds, they start selling all their assets. Um, and if, if I jog your memories on the assets, you'll see what sort of players I'm talking about. David Villa goes off to Barcelona. Juan Mata comes to Chelsea. David Silva goes to Man City. This is the caliber of players that they had to sell in order to maintain anything. Yeah, that really hurt world football, like Valencia crashing. <laughs> yep. Like, I kid you not, they were regulars in the Champions League and we always came up against them in the group stages and I used to get so annoyed playing having David Villa play against us. But yeah, um, that's basically what happened and they've got so much debt. They sold off so many players in 2014. Uh, they went through an ownership change and everybody liked the new owner to begin with. But then, you know, things kind of went south, changed coaches, false promises, financial losses year after year after year. And yep, this is where we are now. Valencia, once Champions League finalists in less than 20 years, were on the brink of relegation and only survived in the in the last two game weeks. They finished on 42 points in 16th place. Had they not had those last couple of wins, they probably could have gone down. Okay. So we've got two examples. Uh, there was there's plenty of examples of clubs you know hmm. falling off the edge of a cliff with financial problems. Yeah. So is that a pretty good reason why it was introduced? FFP was introduced in the first place? That that is that, that is pretty much the, the the two biggest examples of where short term success and as Ashavank said, betting the future on immediate success really came came to bite. So in essence, FFP financial fair play was introduced in my opinion for for three key reasons. The first one was financial stability, and this speaks to the need for clubs to ensure that they don't have these roller coasters like we've just covered with Valencia, where you're you've had a couple of good seasons and you're taking on massive debt and betting it on continuing to win in the coming years. So FFP promotes the need for responsibility, and it, it really encourages clubs to operate in a way where their spending is proportional to their revenue. And, and the second reason is it sort of levels the playing field. I, I guess this is something we're going to touch on a little bit later, but it, it could be argued that, say, a club like Man United, who've had historic revenue streams, would have a benefit as far as FFP is concerned. But reason number one was sustainability. So because of those revenue streams, because United have that money coming in, they can spend more because it is sustainable. So it levels the playing field in the sense that you're not going to get an unfair advantage through wealthy owners coming in and investing large amounts of cash because... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yep, yep, yeah, no, no, that's definitely what it's there for. 
Yep. Okay, okay, um, look, guys, this is this is reason number two, and I'm trying really hard to not think of examples where wealthy owners have come in and completely disregarded these laws. But it's look, really not that difficult. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> It, it, that that is that is why these laws were there because it's it's meant to it's meant to ensure that this kind of thing doesn't happen, and and, and the third reason is sustainable development, right? So again, you look at you look at Leeds and you look at Valencia, and a lot of what they did with that debt was they bought players that didn't come off, right? So they had a good spine, and then they said, okay the spine needs to go to the next level. We're going to bring players in through large transfers and we're going to go to that next level. We're going to challenge Arsenal or Man United in Leeds' case. In Valencia's case, we're going to go to that next level and we're going to beat Real Madrid in next year's Champions League final. And those signings did not come off. So what FFP promotes is investing in youth, investing in community and infrastructure initiatives versus solely transfers and wages. So I think the reasons for FFP off the back of these examples were very sound. That's a that's a pretty optimistic summary for what <laughs> FFP actually delivered. Because I, I think if we were to if we were to look at like from a perspective of hundred miles up, looking down, I, I don't think it was there to even the competition. Like, if we're honest, like, I'm sure Ali would agree with me, you know, it's more about, you know, keeping existing brands and legacy and history alive, making sure that those big brands don't tumble off the edge of a cliff and you have a huge supporter base, you know, not supporting or watching the sport. Um, that's just personal opinion. Uh, but, you know, before we get into punishments, enforcement, and, you know, looking at Man City and having those... Uh, angst-ridden conversations. Shivan, could you explain the math behind how FFP works? I very well can. Um, and also, bingo alert, if you're keeping hold on to your bingo card, if you're holding on to your bingo cards, you will hear a thousand terms <laughs> that will actually make a difference. So, buckle up, ladies and gents. Take deep breath. Ah, okay, so... Before I get into the maths, I'll basically do a quick primer on the things that are counted towards FFP and then the things that aren't counted towards FFP, and then I'll break down the accounting structure. So kind of like what Gurpreet said, investing in youth academies does not count towards um, FFP. So building and nurturing young talent is exempted from however much you want to invest. Um, investing in your stadium and infrastructure is exempt from FFP. So if you want to build bigger and better facilities and you don't want leaky roofs, that's perfectly fine. FFP doesn't care about it. Um, What FFP does care about is the amount of money you spend on players, the wages you pay them, and what you pay to the agents and if you sack a manager or three in a season, <laughs> then how much do you pay them for compensation? Um, if you ever look at any FFP register, they come up as exceptional payments or your manager sackings. Okay, so that's what's counted versus what's not counted. Now, the basic ruling for FFP is that it works in accounting windows of three years, right? So you take three-year periods and you analyze the team's finances for those three-year periods. And the current model or the model that 
was applicable until the end of this season, basically said for any three-year window, you cannot have aggregate losses of five million per season for for that period. And if you have a wealthy owner who is a benefactor, then the number drops to thirty million. So that means you can spend you can be in at a loss of thirty million this year and the next season, but you can't do the same thing in the third season. So you have to do something to balance the books. That's the general wordings. But how do you balance the books? It's all about clever accounting. I'll throw in some numbers to give you some context. And here's the first bingo word, amortization. So let's say for argument's sake, Chelsea board Enzo for $100 million on a five-year contract. Now, and they pay him $10 million a year in terms of wages, which is about £190,000 a week. I'm just going with round numbers and a five-year contract instead of eight and a half, nine and a half, because I don't want to math right now. So the way FFP records this is the 100 million fee over five years basically gets recorded as 20 million pounds a year. And their 10 million pound salary gets recorded as an additional 10 million. So even though Enzo Fernandez costed Chelsea 100 million to buy and then 50 million over the length of his contract, which is 150 million, you don't put that down as one transaction. You put it down as five transactions of 30 million each spread over the length of the contract. Now, Enzo does fantastically well. He At the three-year point, he signs a contract, ex, uh, contract extension for another two years. So what's happened is the 100 million we paid, we've already paid off 60 on the books. The remaining 40 is now spread over the two years remaining on the contract and the two new additional years added. So his FFP hit becomes 10 million a year from salaries, uh, from the transfer fees instead of the original 20. Now, let's say he gets a pay bump and he goes from 10 million a year to 15 million a year. So the salary then goes up and his hit basically drops from 30 million as previously we recorded to 25 million a year. And that is how FFP works. Now, at the end of the third, se- uh, sorry, at the end of his eighth season, so when he's got one year left on his contract, Real Madrid comes along and buys him for $150 million. At that point, we basically add 150 to our books and we take off the 15 we were supposed to pay him, for, or 25 we were supposed to pay him for the last year. So that year, instead of Enzo Fernandez recording as minus 25 on the books, he will show up as plus 150 on the books, thereby giving us 175 million to spend overall. So that is how FFP works. And if you've been paying attention and I haven't put you to sleep, what that means is you, as long as you have one good window every three years where you sell a few players, you are positive. So when Real Madrid actually came along and paid 105 million for Eden Hazard, Chelsea made it big. And that's just the transfer side. So the other things you can include as incomings into your FFP balance sheet are basically gate receipts, all sponsorship and merchandising fees, and whatever you get from broadcasting and competition bonuses. And that is exactly what makes the Champions League so valuable. Winning the Champions League gives you $120 million or thereabouts. Winning the Europa League gives you 40 million. 
So all of a sudden you get 80 more million pounds to spend the very next season. And if you start doing FFP, you have a lot more money to spend on incomings and outgoings. And then there's the Youth Academy. Basically, there is no cost associated with training a young player. They only start registering a cost when you give them their first pro contract and give them a salary, which quite often is just peanuts compared to the the bigger star players. So if a youth academy player gets sold, and for example, we're hearing Mason Mount might be sold for 50 million, for example's sake, that is 50 million pounds worth of pure profit for Chelsea. And so this is how you can sort of fudge around the books. And that is how FFP works. And despite this, Man City and Barcelona end up in trouble. So talking about fudging in books, let's go to punishments. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I love it because, you know, Shivank knows it so well because of the Chelsea link and he's studied Chelsea long enough <laughs> to know. And oh, this is where Man City and Barcelona really need to learn from Chelsea. <laughs> Uh, if I'm, yeah, I don't think Man City cares too much. Talk to me about Man City's punishments, and we'll, 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 we can we can go through how how that's actually net affected them. So there's 115 that number. Uh, Gurpreet didn't say it this time; it was me. So 115 um, allegations, and there is basically been. So these don't currently include the recent seasons as per or most of the pep seasons but they do predate pep and they do include i think the first couple pep seasons so what what basically happened was man city when they first got bought up there were enormous deals enormous sponsorship deals that the club of their size and man united oh man sorry man city barely survived relegation the season before um i i remember speaking to some manchester city fans yes there are a couple out there um weird enough huh? <laughs> um just before <laughs> where did you find them on some online chat room <laughs> football manager um oh <laughs> was that this sense. was this reference to virat kohli because that was a blue jersey that he was holding in his hand are these rare commodities being traded on the dark web <laughs> No, weirdly. Can we mint them as NFTs? (laughs) (laughs) Spike up their value. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) Uh, I wonder if Paul Pogba is selling some of those as well. Of um, (laughs) City Fat NFTs. Um, (laughs) But basically, right before the Abu Abu Dhabi money came in, they were on the verge of actually financial ruin. They 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 were almost relegated. They were financially completely distraught. They couldn't afford any transfers. The co- the club was completely sh- being shut down. Like they would have, they would have completely been destroyed and forgotten about had the ownership not come in and just funneled a ton of money. So you know, fantastic stadium. Stadium gets a sponsor, a stadium sponsor Etihad, who obviously come in with a humongous cash injection again. A club their size for a team that was yo-yoing in the Premier League, not you know they're they're essentially kind of like a a Burnley or a Bournemouth kind of team at that stage in their, in their stature of world football or even Premier League football, and they've got, they're getting these massive. I think it was like 
400 $400 million dollar deal for a sh- uh, you know for a shirt sponsor it's like it, you know some of those deals are like keeping up with Manchester United who've been a powerhouse and won you know 13 Premier Leagues in the last 20 last 16 seasons or uh, 20 seasons you like how does that make sense right so it's clearly unfair that those sponsorship deals are like oh which is good business um that along with basically what Man City were doing was there were other deals and other other add-ons that were getting added on to uh, contracts and agreements for payments that weren't coming directly from the Man City books. And those are really hard to track. And I think that's where everyone knows it's happened and everyone knows. It's just like, it's like the FIFA World Cup. Everyone knows everyone's been bribed. It's just who wants <laughs> to actually speak up and say that it actually happened and find proof on it, right? Um, so it's really hard to prove, but there are allegations. Uh, the German newspaper Bild have done a full dossier. They did a full investigation and they found a whole bunch of these through emails. UEFA tried to try to get at Man City about this and Man City, they actually, you know, they did ban Man City, but Man City went and had it overturned, um, at the sports arbitration court. And now the Premier League have basically been told uh, from the British government that we are going to bring a third party to regulate you unless you do it yourself. So they've kind of pulled up their pants and gone, oh, you know what? We will regulate ourselves. Man City, you're in trouble because you're the easiest one and you're the one we could get the easiest kind of um, find the things on. So we're going to go after Man City. And that's exactly what's happened. So they pulled these out. God knows if it's a, if it's ever going to stick or if they're going to f- ever find enough proof to actually do anything. But it does what that early success or early injection did for the players that they bought was it brought Man City into the Champions League. Uh, as you know, as we were talking, it brought them into the Champions League, and suddenly that really upped their revenue, up their club profile. Suddenly they were more attractive to better players, better managers, better. You know, and then they started really funneling a lot of money into the youth team, into the stadium, into the training facility. So they have one of the best youth programs in the country now. They have uh, one of the best stadiums. They want to have. They have the best training facility. Again, doesn't count an FFP, so they're good with that. That can be the best in the world. But um, that early success and that early that financial injection that really was unfair got them into a position where they suddenly became an attractive object and they became a, a a a team that could consistently win trophies or build a team so good that you can attract the world's best players, pay them, and still have enough revenues and incomings by consistently performing so well that you can meet FFP regulations and have the world's best manager and have all those other bits and pieces around them too. Yeah, so look, that's a... Like if if I'm taking it from the other perspective, right? Like that's very similar to what PSG does, right? PSG has done basically exactly the same. It's exactly the same, right? So I mean, if there is another club in UEFA tournaments that's doing the same thing, the argument is, well, you're not going to be competitive unless you do. Like we know we've watched a lot later CPL seasons, and it certainly looks like that Man City is head and shoulders from a talent perspective above the rest of the competition. 
So to compete with them, you kind of have to do the same thing. The other part about this is it's not just in the EPL. Like if we're talking about enforcement and the fact that these teams are getting away with it and they're it's essentially treating it like a winning tax to win, you have to flaunt FFP. You just take them to court. And like the Queen's Park Rangers did, they made a loss of 65 million. They should have been fined 46 million, but they ended up paying 17 over the course of 10 years and they got promoted to the next next league and netted 148. So it's just a winner's tax to get promoted or get to uh, Champions League. So at the end of the day, you know, if they're doing it at all levels, it's not like it's going to change much. Do we think that the enforcement is ever going to work? Like what do they need to do to make it work? Well, they did come down. I mean, there obviously has been a lot going on in Italian football and, you know, Juventus are currently right in the thick of it and right in the middle of it. Barcelona have other allegations going on, but, you know, they they still have financial and Spain's FA is much tougher on, yeah. much tighter in their regulations than UEFA is and the EPL is. So Barcelona have more stringency that they're trying to work around and trying to, you know, shimmy themselves, which is why the levers came in. So they're all, all trying to figure out or live on that edge because I guess, you know, for high performance, if you're not on that edge, you're you're basically back in the pack. And, you mm-hmm. know, similarities with uh, with cycling, you know, at you know, obviously when, when, Lance, when Lance Armstrong was doping, everyone was doping. It, you know, it wasn't just Lance Armstrong. It was everyone. And it was everyone for like 10, 15 years. It was a, it was a pretty sustained period of like consistent doping until they just fully stamped it out. You know, lots of cyclists who had won tons of races had to basically, their names had to be erased. And now, you know, slightly more cleaner, slightly more honest sport. Uh, I don't know if you go, if you do that, how, how can you burn down a man city? Like what would, what would that look like? Or what would, you know, bringing down AC Milan and Juve, and which has already happened, right? Like it's, they've, they've kind of already gone down. They've already been relegated before. And they still come back. They still get up to their old tricks. Okay, but here's the cynic side of me that's going to spring up now. If you have a Champions League season without Pep Guardiola, without Kevin De Bruyne, without Erling Haaland, without, I don't know, um, Riyad Mahrez and Ruben Diaz, what's in it for UEFA? Like, People would go out of their way to watch Erling Holland score another hat trick from nowhere, or Kevin De Bruyne yeah, see the past six plays before. Isn't that the same justification for the European Super League? Like, it is. I mean, it's that's the exactly same. It. And that's the top four next but, year. <laughs> yeah, but but that, that that's where I think I, I think lads. Uh, I, I think Ali touched on something really important. The, the benefit that City got from breaking these rules. Oh, well, uh, you know, we keep calling City out, but, but PSG are, are just as culpable. It was in those early years where the project really needed to be attractive, right? So um, one, of the, one of the discrepancies that UEFA called out was the agent fees paid to Yaya Toure, right? Mm-hmm. Man City would never have attracted a player like Yaya Toure. Like, we are literally talking about one of the best central midfielders to play the game in the last 10 years. 
practically a generational the, talent. A generational talent, right? Those agent fees enable you to get a Yaya Toure. That Yaya Toure allows you to win. I mean, you look at the number of clutch goals that guy scored, right? Um, you know, he basically dragged them up the table and into the Champions League. And once they're a Champions League club, coupled with the money they had, and and let's also be honest, unlike PSG, the footballing side of the city program is actually very, very good, right? It, it's it's that it's that early breaking of the rules that made the project so much more attractive. Now, I would argue, if you come down hard on them and you say you broke our rules so you're not in the Champions League and Erling Haaland does not stick around a Kevin De Bruyne does not stick around because if these players are serious about wanting to win the biggest trophies the project becomes less attractive so I, I actually think if UEFA were to come down hard on them the risk of not having a Haaland or a De Bruyne or a Ruben Dias in the Champions League isn't so great because I think they probably go to other clubs that are in the Champions League also, Pep has been vocal about saying that if, like, City were found guilty, that he would walk. Like, if, if he was like Exactly. To, because he was told that... Exactly. Well, he said that. He said that. But then he's backtracked <laughs> on his words. So I, yeah, I don't trust uh, a single thing that comes out of his mouth. Yeah, Pep, Pep ultimately is like any coach. He just wants to win. He doesn't care how he wins, you know, beyond, you know... Cheating on the pitch, yeah. right? We're talking about. And, and yeah. you know, like, Look, you know, we it, compare, and, compare Man City to PSG, and let's compare Man City to PSG, owned by state, um, you know, state funding, and they have had a ton of money poured in, a big project for both sides. PSG were always the dominant team in France. They became even more dominant. Man City came from, you know, really struggling to like one of the most dominant forces in England. But PSG are nowhere near being dubbed the best team in world football where Man City, everyone in the world is in awe of their talent on the field and the way they play and how they just, you know, how they destroy teams and how they can just take teams apart. And PSG just don't have that. And even though they do have, they have Mbappe, Neymar and Messi. Yeah, and 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 look, I, I I think there's two sides. There's two sides to this coin, right? We we did that episode last year on moneyballing, right? Like, you can be successful without money, and a lot of city success is down to the brilliance of the footballing side of that operation. But when you combine that expertise and that nous that someone like Pep brings in with the money they have, it becomes a very dangerous mix. It becomes a very successful mix, right? So I, I think you're right, Ali. It's They aren't comparable to PSG on the footballing side of things. They are a much, much better operation. And look, you know, uh, you know we've been having a go at, at Barcelona and at, at Man City, but you look at Chelsea and United as recent examples of clubs that have spent a lot of money, but the money is nowhere to be seen on the field. Right, because the footballing side of the operation just isn't as good as Man City. But you can't just say, "Oh, PSG have spent money and they're not successful." It, it, I don't think it works like that. M- money is still the biggest playmaker in football. Gurpreet, right? Have you not if been you... watching Pogba and Lukaku's Instagram videos? That's that's where all of Chelsea and Man United's money. Is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, <laughs> that's a that's a good point to halt this conversation. We'll take it. We'll take it in the next episode in part two of FFP. Uh, 
Okay, well, that's all we have time for in this episode. Uh, we're going to continue our thoughts on FFP in the next episode. Thank you to our panel for their thoughts and opinions on this. If you want to get sports nerdy with us, you can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the Backpass Pod. We'll be back next week with more sports analysis on the FFP and the 115 or 17 charges. I lost track. It's gone out while we're talking. <laughs> right here on the Backpass Pod.